This is episode four, Echo, of Freeze and Freedom. Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Coon. This is Free as in Freedom. You really kept me hanging there for a minute. Well, I didn't start a backup <laughs> recording. Yep. Um, now so, we have a backup recording as well. We need to have a backup recording. They're going to hear this one. We've had too many, um, too many disappointments in recording. We didn't want to get, we want listeners, we want you to have episodes. And when we went on hiatus, and part of the reason why it lasted so long was because we had recorded, but uh, there was a problem with the audio. Yeah, I think we explained that. That was all my fault. So we're we're now trying to make sure that never happens again. So we have a topic, not a recording this time, which I guess the people who don't like us playing random audio from long ago. Yeah, we've about. had we've had some we've had a good number of episodes with new content. Yeah, but they just probably heard a couple that weren't. So Oh, okay. Fair enough. So this is a, a topic of discussion that people, the, the, topic. the regular listeners always say they prefer to hear us talking, which I don't understand, but that's what they say. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So our hot topic is we're, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the IRS refusals of um, C3s and C6s. We've talked about this a little bit already on the show. I can't remember what our last episode We've mentioned was. it on multiple episodes and talked about it a whole lot. And I think... I would assume people, I'm amazed that people listen to the show at all, frankly, because nobody really cares about this topic except for us. I, it feels I, like in the free software. Yeah, world. you would think so, but I think that's actually not true. Well, I, so I think, I think, I think the problem is, is that actually I mean a very specific subtopic. So we've talked on the show before about how nonprofits work in the United States and that they're incorporated at a state or commonwealth level and then they, often seek some tax exempt status at the federal level. And there are various tax exempt sta- statuses. Stata. <laughs> yeah. Actually, a Latin scholar once, well, someone who, who minored it, who majored in classics as an undergraduate told me once you're actually not supposed to use the Latin plural in English. Okay. So it should be statuses. So. Okay. I would probably try to structure my sentence so as to not use the, <laughs> not to have to use it. <laughs> um, so there are various statuses you can apply for. Right. And the most common ones used in open source and free software nonprofit organizations are 501c6 and 501c3. Yes, which I, w- which I think many of our listeners very well know the difference uh, between, but it's a constant source of confusion in, um, in the free and open source software world and elsewhere, actually. Well, and, and the reason... And, and and our listeners might remember uh, episode OX41 where Jim Zemlin made the joke about how one's twice as good as the other because three is six is twice three. Um, but I think actually most of the C6 people have a tendency, and I, and I saw this multiple times from multiple people from 51C6s, have a tendency to downplay the differences. Because C6s, frankly, and I say this as a biased C3 person, have it easier with regard to fund rate. So I'm trying not to interrupt you because we had uh, critical feedback recently that uh, told us that our it, our show becomes hard to listen to when we talk over each other. Now, uh, 
we're New Yorkers. I'm a native New Yorker. And when we, you, Bradley is, is shaking his head. He doesn't consider himself a New Yorker, apparently. But we are, we are recording in New York. I'm a native New Yorker. And so for me, a natural way of communicating is to keep interrupting each other. Um, so we'll, we'll try to, to do that a little bit better. Uh, but I did want to sort of back up a second and say that while most of our, um, our listeners probably know this distinction, it's perfectly reasonable for someone who's coming in new or who just hasn't focused on this to not know the difference between these codes that we keep referring to, the 501c3 and 501c3. It's 501, 501c6. <laughs> um, and those numbers correspond to the parts of the tax code where they talk about the different kinds of nonprofits and how they're, um, you know, and, and how they're formed and regulated. And so a C3 is a charity. Um, Bradley is now indicating that he wants to speak, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> In fact, it, there, there are actually multiple parts of the tax code because right. there's the 107, like the 170 sub force, that, that huge number. Mm-hmm. You know the huge number I'm yeah, talking yeah. about, yeah. So there's there's two parts of the tax code that refer to this. One of them is the types of organizations that qualify for. Uh, there's like multiple types of organizations that then qualify for the 501 versions of everything. It's really complicated. It is complicated, but the but the C3 and C6 is the shorthand that people use in common conversation. Well, that's the status you're ultimately granted, and you're granted that status because you fit one of the other definitions. Um, right. I, I just I wanted to say that because um, not many people know that, even people who know about this thing. Mm-hmm. I posted on the, the Floss Foundation's email list, which we talked about here before, which is sort of the meeting place of all nonprofit organizations in open source and free software, as well as a bunch of for-profit people who are also on the list for I don't know why. Um, uh, and I posted a really long post about that question of like, oh, you know, you, some org was applying. And I'm like, well, you're applying under this substatus. And I looked up all the substatus and was like, well, you know, why did you pick this one? Is that one better? Is that what people are picking? And complete crickets. And the reason it was complete crickets is no one has ever read all the, no one in our free software open source world has ever read all those little details of what types of orgs qualify and so forth, which is part of the reason why people just think it's like, oh, whatever, it's just a number. Which yeah. really bugs me because um, I've talked before about how these tax codes, I mean, basically it's a form of a government grant. That's my view of what these tax codes are because you don't pay taxes. So the government's giving you money effectively by not charging you taxes. So the government's deciding that certain types of organizations deserve a de facto grant right? and different types of grants depending on what they do. So, for example, the C3s have a double grant, effectively, because they not only don't pay taxes themselves, but when C3s collect donations, those donations are tax deductible. In the United States, when applicable. <laughs> this notice required by law. <laughs> right, that's what I was going to say. Um, so it sort of depends, um, you know, it sort of depends on on, on the, the status. But so, so a C3, which we haven't actually said now, we've talked a lot about it, but we haven't sort of... Uh, described it, a C3 is a charitable organization. It's an organization that, uh, that is set up in the public interest. Um, in it, you know, it, it, it can't have shareholders and, um, it must be governed. It has very strict rules in part to be able to benefit from the, um, you know, to benefit from this this form of a, of a grant that you're talking about, this benefit from the U.S. government. Um, and so it's a very particular kind of thing. A C6 is a trade association, and it is set up to organize around a common business interest. And it's a, it's a completely different thing. And it's really a bizarre circumstance for free software in the same way that I think it's really bizarre that in free, that, that software gets shoehorned into so many different areas of law, like 
copyright, patent, trademark, everything. It's sort of these overlaying clumsy um, areas to govern it. Um, in the same way that that's very confusing, it's very confusing that uh, that in our world there could be organizations set up both to forward a common business interest and to um, to forward something in the public interest. I disagree with that somewhat because I think it happens in other areas. Take, for example, the oil industry. You have nonprofits like Greenpeace, which are 501c3s that fight against the oil industry that are mm -hmm. doing things wrong. And then you have trade associations that a bunch of oil companies get together to tell you how great oil is as opposed to other forms of energy. Right? And it's the same situation, right? We have these C6s who are advocating for the businesses, the corporate interests, and then we have activist C3 organizations. It's not much different in, in open source and free software either. I think the thing that's different about it is that is that many of the activities appear to be the same, which is not the case for... But of course a trade association can do that. Of course a trade association is going to want to make it seem like there were all about community and the public. I mean, that's exactly what these other trade associations and other fields do. I mean, there are lots of trade associations for oil companies that do good things for the... presumably good things for the environment. Like, we go and plant trees because the oil industry is good. Right. And, and and so they make it seem as if they're supporting the charitable cause because seeming to support a charitable cause is good for businesses. But that's why C6s do it. Oh, I don't disagree with that. But the most of the actions that are undertaken by um, trade associations and C3s in our space are to support and promote software. And that's it's, different. Yeah. That's fundamentally different than the analogy that you're drawing. Sending, you know, sending developers to conferences. This is all done in their different reasons, different ways, different motivations. And there are overlapping ways where that happens. And I agree with you that um, trade associations and other fields try to also, you know, cash in on that goodwill, um, you know, feeling and seem sometimes confusingly like a charity when they are a trade association. But I think that, that in free and open source software, it's even closer to the market. And that's part of the reason why I think it's so confusing for the internal revenue service, because in the United States, because I think they're trying to, you know, as an out, it's, it, as an outsider, it's really hard to analyze which, what these organizations are doing and determine, you know, who's doing what, why and how. But I think I'm at the point now where I want to call out the C sixes for basically making the problem worse because I think I think that they have a messaging. I mean, we we taught a, a, a course at OzCon, not not twenty fourteen, but twenty back in twenty thirteen. Uh, a whole day course tutorial on nonprofits and open source and free software, and I had to spend the entire day being the only person, the only instructor, including multiple other C three and C six people who was saying C three. Every single C six person from Outer Curve, Eclipse Foundation, all these other places would say, oh, no, no, there's no real difference. We, we don't need to tell the audience about that because the differences are so minor. It just doesn't matter. We don't need to talk about it. They want to blur the lines because they want their organizations, the C6s, to be seen as community-oriented, and they're not. They're business-oriented organizations. Right. And, and I think it's, it's high time we called them out on that. I avoided calling them out on that for a long time, but I'm, I'm done hiding the ball on that and trying to... You know, I want to say, hey, they're part of the problem here. And I think it's part of the IRS confusion is because 
the, the, the actions look similar because it's kind of a, 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 a swindle. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, I mean, we were talking about this before um, in a previous episode that it's not just the trade associations, it's also the corporations acting solely in our space or using language about making the world better through software. And so I think, you know, this is the joke about the um, Silicon Valley episodes mm. and, and the fact that they there's some company in every episode that has a making the world better through whatever our product is. And I, I think that, that it's not just the trade associations, it's all across the board. Oh, yeah, and I think, I mean, I mean, take take. I mean, this the fights about the the Android open source project. I mean, Android is a Google product, and mm -hmm. I think Google wants to have it both ways because they want to be seen as the Android open source project being the center of Android, but it's not necessarily the center of Android. The center of Android is in a lot of ways the deals that Google makes with with phone, handset vendors and all that sort of thing, um, and the whole Google experience on the phone, most of which is proprietary software on top of Android, not Android itself. So I agree with you completely that the companies do that as well, and I'm willing to call out uh, co companies on that as well. Um, yeah, that. I mean, I, I guess what's interesting is that I think maybe I feel so fatigued on this point that I feel like we have been calling out C6s for so long on this. I remember I, us having an episode at, of the Software Freedom Law Show where I remember us talking distinctly about this issue. And so I just sort of feel like I don't feel like it's anything new to sort of. Well, they're louder than us and they're better funded. I mean, well, I think that's part glossy, of the problem. Right. They have great funding and they have marketing departments and they can yeah. afford to have, you know, this is the, as you were saying, classic difference between a trade association and a charity is we don't, we don't really have yeah. the funding. I mean, if you, if you add up all the staff of the key C3 organizations in open source and free software, so let's take GNOME Foundation, FSF, Conservancy, SPI. Um, I, I, I'm missing people, I'm sure. But, yeah. uh, but the point is, if you added, if you found every last C3 that's even tangentially related to open source and free software, it barely even adds up to the staffing level of most of the, like, say, the Linux Foundation or any of the C6s mm -hmm. um, that exist in our, our, our community. Uh, and so, and so for that reason, they can just be loud. They have the ability to be loud. They have, and, you know, I mean, it's also confusing because it is somewhat in their interest to help support some of our more public facing, some of our charitable types of things as well. So they're sponsors of events that are, you know, it, it, it the lines are very blurry. Yeah. And, and I have no, I've never, I mean, I, I had to think about this question a long time ago before I even knew what a, a nonprofit was in a formal sense. Uh, it, back in, in the nineties when companies started to support, free software project development. I think that the way I actually give RMS credit for this, uh, Richard Stallman, uh, who, who's president of the FSF and used to be my boss a long time ago, now is my colleague on the FSF board. He pointed out that we always are going to have to use whatever we can get from people with money. If they're going to fund our work, we should take the money and, and try to do something useful with it. And we should be willing to let them give us code. And if they'll give us code under our licenses, we should take it. And we should encourage them to give us more code under our licenses. And that we, we can't really just like separate ourselves. I mean, I, I mean, as a, as a young activist in the nineties, I always felt like, Oh, I should be in the nonprofit space and we should just, you know, work against corporations at all times because I, mean, I was very inspired by like Michael Moore and those sorts of people. I learned in part from RMS and others that, that you, you do have to accept the, the assistance. The question is, is what that assistance 
how that system influences you. And you have a really good talk about some of this uh, in your identity crisis talk, Karen, but also just the way C6s are structured, the money buys access and control in a C6. Whereas in a C3, we get a donation from a company. Karen and I actually even say in fundraising meetings, you know this doesn't get you any policy input, right? We just want to make sure you know that because you don't get policy input into C3s just by giving money. In C6s, you do. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I don't know how much more we want to go down this road. I mean, I think it's really, I think these are, this is valuable discussion. Well, but the, thing you wanted to, the thing you wanted to talk about was the question of, of both C6s and C3s related to open source and free software facing challenges by the IRS. Right. And so, right. And so this is one of the things that I talked about in, the, in our identity crisis. And one of the things that we talked about on the show a few episodes ago um, is that, is that it's, it's very difficult for, um, the IRS examiners review it. And, and basically the, um, the applications that had been submitted were, um, were held up and there was the, the free and open source software applications were kind of wrapped up in the Tea Party scandal. So I don't know if people have been following this, but, um, but basically there was a, like a list of keywords that if appeared in your application, um, you would need, you know, your, the application would be held up for special review. And, um, and it was found that this was scandalous because it was not a, it, it was, it was arbitrary and, um, and, and potentially politically motivated. And so, um, so that was, but, but, uh, open source was one of those terms that got, was on the list, which made me feel kind of dumb when I saw it because when I started, uh, filing these applications, I was so careful to say free and open source software. When somebody came to me and said free software, I would add open source. And when somebody came to me with open source, I would add free software because I felt like this way everyone was on the same page and there would be no confusion with the IRS of what we were talking about. And then I felt a tiny bit touch guilty when I saw the list and I said, oh, if I just pushed free software. Or said software freedom all <laughs> the time. Software freedom right? all the time. It wouldn't have been a cause. problem. Yeah. But uh, but uh, that's a little bit glib. I bet it would have been caught up anyway. Um you know, in that, uh, in the review process. But so there was this very long delay for a lot of applications and we had conversations about that. Yeah. We talked about that delay multiple times, but, but what, what, what happened was is that multiple organizations got granted. So mm-hmm. Xorg was granted their 501c3 status. Quite a few actually. And there were a few recently. others as well. Yeah. And then, and then the Yorba foundation was denied and decided not to appeal. And then, one of the people from the Yorba just posted part of the story. They posted um, the the rejection letter, which comes at the very end of a very long process. You get a rejection letter at the end, which sort of summarizes the conversation, but there's a lot missing as well. Yes. And so they posted that, which had a lot of discussion in the blog. I actually I commented on the blog early and click the email me when there's new comments. As we're recording this in in early August, I'm still getting comments. Oh, really? Emails that people hot. are making. Yeah. But, but nobody's actually saying anything useful anymore, oh, okay. as usually happens towards the end. Well, I posted a blog post about this saying, yeah. you know, why I'm not concerned about Conservancy's tax exempt status, uh, because there was a lot of confusion in the press. People were sort of making it sound like the tax exempt status of all kinds of organizations that already exist was in danger and that was really problematic so you know people thought just because these organizations had been refused it meant that organizations that already had their status would get it ripped away from them uh, but there's no reason to believe that basically when these organizations are reviewed the letters don't create precedent in the way that you think of it in terms of like a court or you know having you actually have to go to cat tax there is a thing called tax court that you actually have to go to to create precedent right now it does indicate potentially where the irs is leaning but 
depending on who writes and signs the letter, it really could be anywhere in the hierarchy of um, of agents and um, and uh, managers. So it's it's it doesn't necessarily mean that. And in order for it to affect an existing organization, other things would have to happen. So. Um, all those years ago when I was working at the Software Freedom Law Center and apply, you know, and having discussions about um, applications that were being held up, the examiners were very, very adamant and very clear about saying that it did not affect existing organizations. Um, and, you know, looking at how things operate, it would have to take some, it's not to say that changes can't be made that will affect existing organizations, but those changes must be made. It, having these reviews over the um, the applications are um you know are are not are not indicative in that way so they, they, there's just there's just a limit to how much how how that can um, can play out for existing organizations and, and there there are other there are other facts uh in the in the uh, tangential to the free software world certainly but but close enough that it matters uh Mozilla Foundation went through a very long audit they were actually audited by the IRS um they publicly uh, publish their their results of the audit, and the IRS left them as they were. Uh, Mozilla has a very problematic structure that I wouldn't be comfortable with. I would never work for the Mozilla Foundation or Mozilla Corporation because they're they're tight, too tightly coupled for profit nonprofit entities. I understand this is very common outside the U.S. Uh, folks who are in uh, in various European countries have said that it's not uncommon to have a tightly coupled for profit nonprofit uh, venture, which is permitted under those types of mm -hmm. and, and actually kind of expected under those types of rules. I think the Blender Foundation is one of those where they're they're hybrid and and so forth. It seems weird to us sitting in the U.S. because the U.S. doesn't usually have that. But of course, Mozilla has done that. They have a fully, uh, they have a nonprofit that owns a, a full subsidiary that generates mm -hmm. most of the revenue where most of the employees are. And they have this weird structure where th things seem to drift between the two in a way that I'm not fully comfortable with. No, myself. but they did survive the audit. But that's my point. They yeah. survived the audit. Even me sitting here saying, and, and actually before, long ago, I tried to avoid saying publicly that, that I was bothered by that structure because I thought it would affect us in some way, but I don't think it will. I think if anything, it says, well, if, if they're, if they're in the clear, uh, orgs that are purely nonprofits that don't have for-profit subsidiaries that work very closely to match the mission they promised the IRS they would meet, which when you apply for one of these statuses, you tell the IRS, we plan to do the following things, and you have to follow up on that. It's like any other plan. You have to make sure you execute on it. Um, we've been able to do that in Conservancy, I think. FSF has done that for, for decades now, received its tax-exempt status in, 19, in the beginning of 1986, applied in 85. Um, and has done free software work for, for decades and decades under a nonprofit status. Yep. And I just took a look when I wrote the blog post, I took a look at Conservancy's application that we wrote. Um, well, you wrote then. most of that. Yeah, it's true. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I took a look at it, but you, you, you helped and I answered questions. I never wrote a sentence. I answered your questions. You did go in and edit my free and open source software to open source and free software. No, I think appeared. I just suggested that. To no, you. I think you actually made the change. No, because you were doing it with that weird tool that I didn't understand at the time. You had some, you had some weird PDF no, tool. No, in the addendum. Oh, in the addendum. Okay, maybe I did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. Well, that and was it's just the addendum that matters. So, so basically, there's a form where they ask you all kinds, all sorts of questions that you can answer, like things about affiliations of directors. Are there conflicts of interest? Do you have certain policies adopted? These, it's this long form with lots of check boxes, and then you there's a part two, and in that extra part. There's an opportunity to explain your activities. And that is the 
real heart of the form where you describe what you're going to do and how and uh you know and that that's so so and that part you just submit it's like you know it's usually in my experience it had been 10 pages but i've seen um, applications that have been much much longer and so i looked at conservancies and i was really pleased to see that we are solidly within what we described we would do so short of there being a um you know rulemaking either at the congressional level or somehow within the IRS that changes things, you know, there's no reason for any existing organization to be concerned provided that they are um, within their mission statement. And there's also a, a, a procedure that the IRS has to follow. They can't just wake up one morning and, and say you're not tax exempt. They have to they have to audit you and issue you a notice of revocation. I mean, there's all these procedures they have mm-hmm, to follow. Mm-hmm. So you, you'd have at least a year warning, if not more, that you were in trouble and a time to fight it and could appeal if, if it even happened. And frankly, <laughs> I spend so much time because I still am Conservancy's bookkeeper. And so I'm, I'm involved in keeping the records of the org that, and your books and your financial books end up being your record that you spent the money in a way that fit with your mission. I'm so proud of those records. I almost want to be audited. Like, I, I mean, in a weird way, because <laughs> no, I know we don't want to be audited. <laughs> I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to be audited. Let's put no, it that and, and that's because actually... I, our books are good. Our, our books are documenting exactly how we're doing our mission in a very good way. And then on top of that, if you look at the way that we've set up our infrastructure and our procedures, we have procedures in place to make sure that we're, you know, we're working in the public interest. We have an evaluation committee that evaluates all new projects. We have oversight of the way that all of the resources are being used within um, our projects. So we actually actually have have a lot of mechanisms in place that are good that we can point to. We being conservancy in this case. We being conservancy because we just we were just talking about mm-hmm. we me and you Bradley were talking about ourselves in the context of having formed and running conservancy. But the, uh, but there there there's this pro- there's this issue where I, I'm not sure what people are going to do with reply with regard to applications. Uh, so Yorba did not want to appeal the denial of their C3 status. I don't right. think they're actually an active nonprofit at this point, uh, as far as I'm not sure where they stand. Right. Actually, it seems but like they the, definitely are scaled down from where they were. Yeah. Um. You know, and I I would be more concerned about it were were other free software nonprofits not granted their c3 status so because some organizations have received their c3 status you know and we don't know you know i was involved early on with the yorba application but i don't know what happened after i i left sflc so i mean i just feel like it's it's a lot of um it's i it's just it's just a a a lot of scary talk that makes sensational press Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that they're looking at the Yorba letter. There really is some. There really are some things in there that are are somewhat concerning. Uh, but uh, but th- they all act together in a whole context and an evaluation of a particular organization. Um, and so the same thing happened has been happening on the trade association side. And most um, famously now, I suppose that the OpenStack Foundation. Was denied. Was refused. Yep. But they're still in the middle of the process. So they received their refusal, but they, um, they can make an appointment with the IRS examiner, which they did. So they're going to be, um, they're going to have that. I think they haven't had it yet. But the the thing, the thing I like encourage people to do, I agree with Karen that, that, that while the rhetoric in the Yorba rejection letter is, is upsetting, uh, I read it and I was like, well, that's just like your opinion, man, because the, (laughs) 
the, the, the examiner and whatever group that that examiner worked with came to this conclusion, but like Karen said, it's not precedent. It doesn't mean it's going to affect other decisions by the IRS in the future, et cetera. But also that analysis is in the context of that particular application and that particular yeah. um, you know organization. And this is where the OpenStack refusal is interesting because when I just read that refusal letter, um, you know, what's interesting about that is that a lot of the reason why they come to this conclusion is because they read the um, board minutes of the organization. Well, uh, before we talk about that, I, so, so when people line up these two letters, we'll link to both of them in the show notes, um, the two rejection letters that are online. Uh, I, the thing I want you to pay most attention to, uh, Karen wants you to pay most attention to this board minute thing, she can talk about that in a minute, but I want you to pay most attention to how different the rejections are. Because it goes to my point about how different C3s and C6s are. Because the litmus test that they're using for the C3 is to make sure your activities are in the public interest. Now, the Orbit letter says this crazy thing about how software is not in the public interest, which we all disagree with, and it's silly. But um, the OpenStack letter is not concerned about that. It no. doesn't care about the public interest. Instead, it cares about whether a common business interest, whether whether you're actually pursuing something that's important to the entire industry of companies. Um, and their argument is you're not because I think basically because of Amazon um, is really what it comes down to in my view. Right. You have to be pursuing several lines of business, basically. It's, it can't, and you can't be organized well, well, just and, and to. You're not even supposed to be pursuing business, right? Well, you, of your own, not well, it's per a, se. Well, it's a, it's the, it's to promote for profit, it's for profit business, but it can't be an organization, um, an organization solely to, um, solely to pr pursue a for-profit, single for-profit line of business. Well, like a product. Like you're not yeah. supposed to be forming a product in a, in a trade association. You're supposed to be forming a standard or something that all the industry is going to be able to work with or otherwise advocating for that industry, right? And so because the OpenStack Foundation is developing a software system that not is not used by the entire industry. In fact, there are key competitors like Amazon to OpenStack entirely that don't want anything to do with it, that see it as a competitor. That's why the IRS is getting worried, and I think somewhat legitimately in that case. Yeah, when you read the refusal letter, it really, I mean, there's a lot of sense in there in a strange way. I mean, I, I, I'm i not sure about the result in, on that one, mm -hmm. but uh, but it, it definitely requires some deep analysis and the points that they make are good ones. And, and what's interesting to me, so it, I, I wouldn't say that the most important point to me is this board minute one. I just found it to be interesting. Um, and, and, and this is a, you know, one of the, the first things I did when I was going to file a tax exempt application. Now, admittedly, I have never filed a trade association C6 application, um, because I've been always on the C3 charitable side, um, which it has a slightly different perspective. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, so what I, the first thing that I did when I was talking to someone who I was going to help them with the process was to look at their website and see what they say about themselves. Who are they? What are they doing? And many times what I found when I did that was that the websites were clumsy. They were made by someone who wasn't necessarily core in the project, or if they were someone who was core in the project, that person didn't quite understand the goals of the organization. And so it was really interesting because sometimes the C3 organizations that I was thinking of, of applying or that I was potentially applying for looked like trade associations or looked like businessy things because that is what the people who created their website thought would sell them better, even though it didn't necessarily describe what they were doing. So one of the first things I said was I would look at their website and the, in the first call I would say, you say this, are you, is this what you mean? Like, because if, if so, then this isn't the right form for you. And let's talk about that. 
And what I found was that almost always it was it was a clumsy website, not a confusion about what the goals of the organization were. And so the first thing that I would always do was dive into the website wholeheartedly and find all of these things. Um, and so what's interesting is I didn't know exactly how deeply or whether the IRS would look at websites, but um, it looks pretty clearly from the OpenStack refusal at, um, at websites pretty closely. And I don't know if they, um, if during the application process they were asked to provide board minutes or they actively did, but I do know that the board minutes, many of them are online. And so during, in the refusal letter, there's a lot of discussion about what the board discussed and the fact that they were focused on the, on, on their competitors and increasing market share was a really damning point for the IRS in this particular instance. And on that point, I feel somewhat bad for OpenStack because, I, I mean, I've sat in a lot of board meetings in my life. We did a whole episode about being on boards, uh, which is a couple episodes ago. Called um, Chairman of the Board, I no, think. No, it's called I'm Bored. I'm Bored? Um, yeah. Hmm. That's what you wanted. Anyway, um, <laughs> you named it. Did I? So, yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but a lot of people say things in board meetings that, that, I mean, I've been in some very, very contentious board meetings. Uh, and people say things that, um, I mean, I, I mean, I want to say they don't mean, but I think they mean <laughs> they meant them. Um, but they say things that, that are not really appropriate content for board meetings. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen a lot of it, right? I mean, in board meeting, people argue and the people are who they are and, and they fight in any social context they're going to be in, including board meetings. And when you're in a corporate setting, a for-profit setting, I mean, they're going to say, you know, we want to, you know, we want to get our competitor or whatever. And, and that might just be one opinion of one board member. Who, and a lot of times people on boards don't necessarily understand the corporate form they're under. So just because they said something in the board meeting, I don't think that that's definitive of what the org's trying to do. I wonder, it's not like they're referring to a vote, right, Karen? That, Actually, I think in one instance they are, which is why I'm okay. looking well, at Well, if they're referring to a vote, that's one thing. Well, but they, they do discuss, they do have a men mentions of particular discussions. Yeah. That so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. But, um, or, you know, one person said, or the president said this, but there is one vote that they referred to. Yeah, so a vote, a vote an, action by, an action by the body, I think, is an issue. I mean, I think of it in terms of, like, Congress. Uh, for those of you in the U.S., if you've ever watched uh, clips from Congress, either by watching C-SPAN or by seeing the C-SPAN footage shown on The Daily Show, John Oliver, Stephen Colbert, those sorts of places, you see the people in a debate setting say a lot of weird stuff. And oh. It's not definitive. It's only the votes that are definitive. Anyway, Karen, you found the vote. Yeah, your your it say say your board took the your board took the unanimous position that quote successful platform commercialization within this bracketed year remains the highest priority for us. So that's just a shortened version of what they had said. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's one of those stupid mission statements that doesn't mean anything. So it's it's kind of, it's kind of sad, uh, sad for them too that they voted on some silly meaningless mission statement, which all missing sta mission statements are generally meaningless, and that suddenly became a reason why they rejected the C six. Yeah, I mean, the minutes report um, plans for commercialization, but also address the competitors' weaknesses. So it really shows a focus yeah. on competitors, and this is not necessarily resolutions, although there was a resolution. Um, yeah. Actually, one thing that interests me is it's not uncommon. So, so here's an example. So, there's this trade association that's running ads. I, I assume it's a trade association. I actually haven't looked. Um, it, it, and the and the tagline of the ad is uh, freezing. It's nature's pause button, and it's basically a frozen foods lobby. Um, uh, that are running ads for, <laughs> for frozen foods. And I actually do eat a lot of frozen food, as it turns out. So, you know, I'm I, you know I'm, I'm 
bought into their lobby. I, I have things with nature's pause button pressed in my freezer. Um, <laughs> but I wonder, for example, so how do they define an industry, right? On, on the global scale, it's the food industry. Mm-hmm. But frozen food basically competes with fresh food. And mm-hmm. so the frozen food people's trade association is going to say, well, you have nature's pause button. So why would you buy fresh? You can buy frozen. Yep. And that's fighting competitors in some sense. So, so how does the IRS figure that out? I mean, this is, this is why it's so difficult, right? And this is why it's such a, I mean, and, and this is why it, it's particularly confusing with free and open source software. So it's very hard to define, to answer these questions. And there is a lot of flexibility. So, and it varies from organization to organization, even that seems closely related in a similar but space. I guess my point is more, why did the IRS, why is the IRS unable to analogize? Because they, they've granted the cheese people, the cheese, you know, cheese, the, uh, uh, the, the Wisconsin, well, that's the state of Wisconsin ads, but, um, there's, there's, there's a, there's a meat lobby, uh, uh beef, it's what for dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the fresh beef lobby, right? And they probably, you know, compete with certain other lobbies, frozen food or the vegan lobby and whatever it is, right? <laughs> There's going to be other lobbies that are all competing with each other. Or, or I shouldn't say lobby because lobbying organizations are yet, yet another 501 status, but the, these different trade associations for the, for the beef and the pork people and the, and, and all these different, they compete, right? Beef and pork probably compete, right? Cause there is a pork lobby because they had pork commercials after the beef commercials were around. All that's probably trade association work. They face this. They probably granted many a beef trade association, pork, frozen food. I'm sorry to use foods like the car people right there's car lobbies and all this stuff right the oil ones i mentioned before they must have faced this kind of question a hundred times and maybe probably thousands of times of industries that overlap and send there and they're sort of competing with another sub industry and all that sort of thing and here's a case where OpenStack is a group of companies competing with a much more pro- – I mean, many of the OpenStack companies are doing proprietary add-ons to OpenStack. Right? That bothers me. But they're competing with a much more proprietary solution, Amazon, which – and from my point of view, I, I, that's a thing to lobby against, right? I mean, it's a thing to fight against as a trade association is, oh, we don't want a proprietary solution. We want a free software solution we all use. And so that's a different sub-industry from my point of view because I'm in the industry and I'm sure the beef people – like, I look at it as just meat because I don't eat meat. Um, the beef and pork doesn't look that different to me. Um, but I'm sure in the industry, the beef and pork people compete and they have, they have their own trade association. So why, why doesn't the IRS no, analogize all the stuff they've probably done for years over to this? Why? 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 Boy, Tell me was, why. Boy, it was really hard to not interrupt you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think that the really hard thing about this is that I think that it's very difficult for people to understand free and open source software, period. And I think that it's very hard for the IRS to understand. They just don't understand. They just don't understand. And they understand beef and pork so much better? Is that it? It's much easier to understand something like that. I don't understand beef and pork. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that, I think you're right. I mean, I think these things are very confusing, but I think that this is, this is one of those situations. And I think the IRS is very wary of the analogizing, which, um, which I know that I used to do a lot with them. Um, when I was trying to get them to understand why free and open source software should be treated in a certain way. But, um, but they're very hesitant to do that because they're afraid of clumsy analogies that get them to come to some conclusion where it doesn't line up 100%. So, you know, I mean, things like um, saying that if you have a swimming pool where the rich and the poor can come, the privileged and the underprivileged can come and use a swimming pool, that's analogous to one aspect of free and open source software where software is made available for everyone to use regardless of where they're coming from things like that they're very wary of these of these analogies because 
they're not talking about the specific incidents that were, you know, the specific situation. So, I mean, I, that's my opinion. I mean, we're, we're guessing, we're basically reading tea leaves based on these refusal letters, uh, which are inconsistent from one to the next, including from, you know, in the last six months. So how, how do we do a, can you actually do a campaign to educate the IRS? I think, I think our community is trying to figure that out. And, and do, do we need to do such an affirmative campaign? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally think that we do, and that's good news because we we have an announcement. Should we? Well, um, so uh, let's uh, so so let's uh, let's take a break. We're gonna break uh, take a break. Yeah, because because uh, we'll do one of those things. We'll do one of those things. The things that we do we've, for the, our regular listeners know that sometimes uh, we don't know when the show is gonna be released, and so we don't know if something's been announced yet. And so, and this is the wonderful place where Dan gets his gets his real volunteer like reward, which is he gets to find out about stuff that nobody else knows. <laughs> and so we'll we'll take a break. And we'll, we'll take a musical interlude. So now we can announce. So uh, we're we're gonna talk about something that was recently announced, uh, which relates to the th- what we've been talking about this whole episode. Uh, so the the OSI and that's right because we're not announcing because if this if this is, comes out, it's already been announced. It's this time you travel. S- you thing. still don't understand how long have we been doing these recordings? A long time. And you still don't understand how many understand years have we when, been doing this? A long time. Years. When did we start? When did F- F- Faith start? No, when did the Suffer Freedom Law Show start? Because we went pretty seamlessly. Faith started in 2010. First episode of Faith was October 2010. Oh. Yeah, so that's just this show. We did a, wow. We did an old show that, whatever. But That we did for a couple of years before this one. Probably. I don't know. I don't care. I don't care about the old show. <laughs> I don't care about this show. Okay. Um, and we've been doing it a long time. And, and you still haven't learned that, that, that our listeners already have seen the announcement. We're just going to talk about the announcement they've already seen. Right. I'm I'm on board now. Okay. I'm, I'm on board. It's you know it's just hard to keep in and mind. We'll leave all this in so that people can hear us. Or do I you? I think so. Okay, that's fine. So Why not? so you've probably seen at this point the announcement that the the OSI and Conservancy um, uh, strange bedfellows from my point of view um, got together and uh, and talked about starting a committee which we're going to try to get started uh, to actually figure out what to what we should do about talking to the IRS about this stuff. Right. So uh, basically, there's already been some. Some closed door discussions, but the idea is to open it up to anyone who wants to participate. Um, and and I think I think the goal really is to try and build a plan. I mean, we don't even know what to do yet. So I think the first goal is to try to build a plan of how our community is going to respond and how do the C sixes and through C threes work together. As we talked about in this episode, they're the denials are very different and. Uh, and therefore, is it even useful for us to be banded together? If it's useful, I think we should I know, make we, allies. We definitely have to be very cautious about it because yeah. approaching together it makes it could make it seem like we have no distinction between us. Well, it also creates more confusion. <laughs> um, so, so we have to figure out like how do we, how do we as a community work together? You know, we have a we have a diverse community, and I, I don't know. As I was saying in the previous segment, I don't know why the IRS can't understand diversity. Like, what's the problem? Um, but given that on all sides of this community, with regard to nonprofits, they're denying and confused. Well, but they're not denying everybody. I would yeah, that's say true that, as well. that many of the cases where I would think they were really ideal plaintiffs, if they were the ones who were refused, were the ones that were accepted. Yeah. You know, like you want to, like in any legal practice, you want to wait until you get the right plaintiff before bringing a court case. Like Rosa Parks was the third woman who, you know, 
who wouldn't give up her seat. All legal organizations do this. They all choose their battles. You have to choose your battles yeah. wisely. So you want to look for a particularly sympathetic plaintiff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I, I yeah, and, and well, I don't think we have one that's going forward because Yorba said they're not going to appeal. I guess OpenStack's appealing. Well, so. I, I was actually more talk, thinking in terms of the charitable side. Yeah, yeah. Um, For the but OpenStack certainly has enough resources behind it that it, it is, you know, it, it will and can. It, yeah, they can fight this on their own, really. On their own. Yeah. Um, but but I think I think we want to understand, and, and and one of the things that Floss Foundations, which um, Allison Randall, I think deserves credit of being the founder mm-hmm. for. I was I helped in the beginning, a couple other people did, but Allison's really the the main founder of Floss Foundations. Um, I think she really wants to. To find a way to, to build recommendations of, of what to do and, and what are we what are we encouraging projects to do that want a charitable status or want any status with the IRS? What, what, what do we as a Floss Foundations community, which does include C3s and C6s, recommending to projects that are seeking this kind of status? Um, and, and Conservancy, obviously, as one of the premier fiscal sponsors, um, uh, probably the most, the, we're probably the most open fiscal sponsor in the sense that we have so many different types of projects, mm-hmm. um, and most broad fiscal sponsor, uh, uh, compared to like SBI and Apache, the other two uh, major fiscal sponsors. Um, I think we probably do, uh, the most transparently as well. Yeah. And, and so I think, I think we have a real concern, speaking from Conservancy's point of view of, of how, of, of how, what do we say to the community and, wh- and how do we want to, uh, look at our evaluation process where we're effectively, Taking projects in that um, that uh, that that are seeking charitable status and making that determination whether they can be part of our org. So we're uh, fiscal sponsors are always in the situation where they're sort of like the IRS light in some sense because they have to determine is this a charitable mm-hmm. activity that we want to make part of our charitable activities because um, they're not going to go apply to the IRS. So we have to make sure they fit our mission and fit the charitable mission the IRS laid out for what a C3 ought to do. So we have to do that and we want to do right. We want to do what the IRS would expect us to do. Absolutely. Um, but it's hard to know. It's hard to find out what the IRS wants us to do, right? But what it's, the IRS ultimately wants us to do is to do the right thing, which is what we want to do. But the thing is, is that, is that it's just hard for them to figure out what that thing is and, and to have clear instructions in the area of software. They're confused right now in the area of software. So that's what this committee is about is trying to get together and, and figure out what the right thing to do is and, um, and we're hoping that, that, that to have, that you want to talk about who's, who we're going to be working with? Is that, is that going to be? Okay. So we're, we're going to, we're going to seek the best help and advice and assistance we can find, uh, as a community, I think. Uh, yep. and, and, and we see it as Conservancy's job. And we, we talked to Karen, Karen could speak to as well that we talked internally to Conservancy about whether this issue was in our mission in some sense. We already have our C3 status, so it's not our problem exactly. Um, but I think that it's from a the charitable problem. perspective, it's within our mission to support and defend free software. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I, I think I think also as a fiscal sponsor, it's our issue because because we we want to discern what the IRS wants. Like I was saying, yeah, we want we we would lo- I would love a letter from the IRS to explain to us. Um, you know, hey, this is this is what we expect from a charitable nonprofit. We see I mean, if the IRS would actually tell us, which they never probably will without a case in tax court, would say these are the types of charitable nonprofits that we think are correct in the software space, and these are the ones that are problematic, and and we don't want to see applications from ones like Cash Music or Yorba for this reason, and this is how we distinguish them in our mind from Conservancy and FSF and everybody else. I think more They've so. Never said anything also, like that. we are sort of we act as like an incubator organization sometimes where we take in projects that. That ultimately will 
form their own well, charitable. Mephos is a great That's example exactly where, where, where Grameen was, was basically handing off Mephos. They didn't have funding for it anymore as a 501c3 charity. They gave it to Conservancy basically temporarily while the uh, COSM, the, the uh, uh, community for open source microfinance, was applying for their C3 status. And they stayed with us exactly as long as it took for them to get their actual C3 status. And we handed it off <laughs> uh, to COSM as, uh, within a few months after they got their C3 status. And, and that's and that's really what we that's a service we want to be providing because we wanted uh, cosm to be its own org and I, I think the people working on on mifos wanted their own org they just needed a, a transition because grameen's funding ran out to, to have a place to be and so that's the kind of thing that conservancy wants to do and we think it's the right thing to do we think it's a service to the entire not just software community but the entire nonprofit community to have to be a transitional nonprofit sometimes for orgs that, that are going to form and have c3 status um it's it's kind of the ideal of what a fiscal sponsor can do in a lot of cases. Yeah, and also not just for organizations that need a temporary home, but ones that are grow bigger while they are conservancy members. So so really, I think conservancy is in this space in a number of different ways. We have an interest from a lot of different reasons. And also, we have some expertise that I think we can help share. So um, I'm optimistic about, you know, at least figuring out what kinds of things that we might be able to do as a community to help either educate the IRS or explain better why um, free and open source software organizations are formed the way they are. So uh, I, I, I don't think there's going to be any immediate outcome from the committee. I think I think it's like any committee going to take some time to discuss. So there probably mm -hmm. won't be news uh, after this announcement soon. But uh, I, I think this is sort of saying that conservancy, the sort of announcement of conservancy is really taking it seriously and is going to be a, a founding member of that committee to make it happen. That's right. Freeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Freeze and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Freeze and Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Freeze and Freedom website, faith.us. That's faif.us. This is episode 4C of Free as in Freedom. <coughs> Sorry, I thought you had the backspace character, you know the